Well, hey there. Welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. And a lot of fun things happened over the weekend. We're gonna get to some of those fun things in one of my favorite segments. My favorite things, that's a C block. But before we get to that, we're gonna talk about a bunch of other things, including dunking on Dave Rubin. It has now become a habit. Yes, it's petty. You can call me petty if you'd like, but I enjoy it because I get to basically call him out for what he exploits the left for. So it's complicated, but I promise you, you'll enjoy the segment. Before we even get to Dave Rubin, we're gonna talk about one of the biggest controversies that happened, well, it began on Friday and kind of developed further today, and it involves a Democratic governor. Let's get to it. Virginia's Democratic governor, Ralph Northam, is in hot water following the discovery of his yearbook page from medical school in 1984. The page features two men, one dressed in a KKK hood and the other in blackface, alongside images of Northam. During his initial apology, it seemed as though Northam was admitting that he was one of the two men dressed offensively. His subsequent statement read, quote, I'm deeply sorry for the decision I made to appear as I did in this photo and for the hurt that decision caused then and now. But in a press conference following mounting pressure to resign, Northam denied that he's one of the men pictured in the racist costumes. When I was confronted with the images yesterday, I was appalled that they appeared on my page, but I believe then and now that I am not either of the people in that photo. Uh, okay, then why is that photo on his page? If it's not him, it's actually weirder. In that case, he's essentially saying that he decided to include a picture of two strangers in blackface and a Klan outfit to represent him. What's wrong with you, man? Even though Northam denies that he was one of the men, he did take some responsibility for some of his racially charged actions when he was younger. My belief that I did not wear that costume or attend that party stems in part from my clear memory of other mistakes I made in the same period of my life. That same year, I did participate in a dance contest in San Antonio, in which I darkened my face as part of a Michael Jackson costume. It may not be me in the KKK hood or blackface on my yearbook page, but I did darken my face as Michael Jackson wants to do the moonwalk. As if this whole situation wasn't cringeworthy enough, get a load of a reporter's question during Northam's press conference. You said that the competition in San Antonio was a dance competition? Yes. And it was that you danced the moonwalk? That's right. Are you still able to moonwalk? Uh, <coughs> inappropriate circumstances. My wife says inappropriate circumstances. I can't, I can't even believe that was a serious question. Northam even went so far as to claim that he doesn't know how the racist imagery ended up on his yearbook page in the first place, which honestly sounds a lot like an embarrassing Trump-esque reversal of his previous statements. But what's missing from this conversation is how much the medical school also deserves heat following this whole controversy. Let's play a round of how racist do you have to be? How racist do you have to be to dress as either one of these people? One features the dehumanizing legacy of how black people were betrayed, and the other, 
the Klan. I know, we're in Trump country and some might think that the Klan consists of very fine people. But for those of us who are grounded in reality, the Klan has committed horrific murders throughout the nation's history, including the 1957 killing of Judge Edward Aaron in Birmingham, Alabama. Aaron was a black handyman who was abducted by the KKK, badly beaten, castrated by a razor, and left to die in a nearby creek. So when someone pulls out a camera, to take a photo of you in those costumes? How racist do you have to be to put your arm around the other person and smile because it's fine, we're all so racist? And then how racist do you have to be to say, you know what? Of the four photos I'm choosing to represent me, I'm gonna have one of them be the blackface Klansman photo. That's my yearbook must have. And how racist does the entire medical school have to be to let you put that image on your yearbook page? Did the yearbook editor say, cool, thanks, page 105, happy graduation? And by the way, there's another racist photo in the yearbook featuring another white male student dressed in blackface with the caption, whoever thought Diana Ross would make it to medical school? Look, this didn't go down in high school or even college. Northam had graduated medical school, meaning he wasn't a kid, he was 25. He was at the point where society had entrusted him with the most sacred of responsibilities. He was about to become a doctor. Though we did more digging and the press actually found some more incriminating stuff on Northam. CBS News uncovered a page from Northam's yearbook at the Virginia Military Institute that had nicknames listed underneath his name. One of them was Coon Man, a racial slur, classy. Northam needs to resign, like let's keep it real. It's the right thing to do. Democrats aren't and shouldn't be like Republicans who support racists like Representative Steve King simply because he's one of their own. Every Democratic presidential candidate, Virginia's Democratic lawmakers and the state's Democratic Black Caucus want Northam to step down, and he should. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Filter. If you love this show and you wanna follow us on social media, you can do it by going to No Filter TYT on Twitter, at No Filter TYT. All right, let's get to the rest of the news. Dave Rubin's fans understandably get upset when people like me point out his inconsistent record of political opinions and complete ideological shifts as soon as he began receiving funding from right-wingers like Dennis Prager and the Koch brothers. I say that their dismay is understandable because no one wants to feel like they've been persuaded to believe things by a complete and utter fraud. I get that, but let's call him out anyway. Rubin claims that his political awakening is genuine, even though he struggles to explain and defend his radical ideological changes. For example, in my years working alongside Rubin, he seemed very much in favor of government regulations on big businesses, which is a very different take from the anti-government talking points he failed to defend on Joe Rogan's podcast. When, when people things up and short things and do things terrible. They're not thinking logically. I, don't I think it's the government that they're like, ah, the government gave me this regulation, so that's why I'm gonna do it right. If you're not gonna have regulation, what is the solution if someone does something that's illegal? Now everybody is walking around with Snapchat and Instagram and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of the stuff would be exposed more so that all of the things that we've been talking about for the last couple hours about 
about people getting involved, a lot of the things I think would start self-regulating. They will say, you know what, we should pay $772 million in fines and restitution because we're regulating ourselves. I'm sure that would have happened, Is right? Is there an example of self-regulation ever working? Really, I mean, does it, has it ever worked? Doesn't it automatically go awry by definition? I don't know, Dave, doesn't it automatically go awry when it comes to self-regulation? Okay, all right. Some people do become more conservative on fiscal and regulatory issues as they get older. I mean, Ruben's timing is a little suspicious given how much his opinions changed right after he began that partnership with Learn Liberty, which is funded in part by the Koch brothers. But what about some of his other opinions? When Ruben and I were close colleagues, I remember having many conversations with him about the hideous treatment of the trans community, which he felt was unacceptable. When transgender activist Janet Mock appeared on CNN to share the story of her transition, Ruben was highly supportive of her, tweeting, quote, hey, Janet Mock, David Janet, that's his husband, and I are incredibly proud of you. After I had filmed an episode with Janet Mock on the now defunct Take Part Live, Ruben tweeted to both of us writing, quote, how was Take Part Live? Love that you met Anna Kasparian, two of my faves. Now his views are a little different. Now he claims he kind of supports the trans community as long as the government isn't passing laws to protect them. Because according to him, that's just government overreach. After North Carolina passed a law banning transgender individuals from using bathrooms that fit their gender identity, several athletic teams and companies refused to do, biz refused to do business there. Rubin felt that the political activism was just overblown. First off, transgender people are an absurdly tiny minority within the country and the world. This doesn't mean they should be ignored, but the virtue signaling coming from celebrities and pundits was totally overblown. Why should all of the people of North Carolina be punished for the actions of their governor? Yeah, they voted him in, but should every politician's decision decide how a whole state full of individual people is treated? I don't think so. so so in essence, self-proclaimed free speech warrior Dave Rubin is upset that celebrities and athletes took a principled political stand against the transphobic laws in North Carolina. Free speech isn't exactly Rubin's favorite thing, unless he gets to exploit lazy talking points about it for profit, got it. Since we're on the topic of speech, I remember when Rubin, a former comedian, was very offended by gay jokes. In fact, he felt there were some instances where comedians would go too far in poking fun of certain communities. Here's an example. The James Franco Comedy Central roast was last week, and it takes a lot for me to get offended. I am a comedian. I believe in free speech. I I can't even. I honestly can't remember the last time I was truly offended by by words and not actions. But I was watching this thing, and it was just an endless onslaught of gay joke after gay joke after gay joke. Mm, didn't like the gay jokes then. Now that Ruben gets his bills paid by libertarians like the Koch brothers, all of a sudden criticizing gay jokes is outrageous. Here's Michael Brooks explaining where Ruben stands now. And I saw today though that he was bitching on Twitter about like, I don't know, Family Guy isn't gonna do gay jokes anyway. Some, some that like, honestly, I wouldn't even know one way or another if I wasn't looking to make fun of Dave Rubin. And I saw that tweet and I was like, oh, I guess like, his Amazon clear-cutting reading time obviously got interrupted by the breaking news that Seth MacFarlane's like cartoon that is apparently still running on television isn't gonna do like 2005 gay jokes anymore. 
Brooks is right. In the middle of the longest government shutdown in US history, Rubin tweeted in response to news that Family Guy is phasing out jokes about gay people by writing, quote, first they came for a poo and I said nothing. And then follow that tweet with, hey, Seth MacFarlane would love to have you on the show to talk comedy, free speech, and political correctness. So now this is where things get good. Progressive commentator and TYT partner Sam Cedar of The Majority Report replied to this thread about Family Guy writing, hey, Rubin Report, would love to have you on to talk about the same. Cedar has been asking Rubin for a debate or a conversation for more than a year now. I also offered to debate Rubin during last year's Politicon. Uh, didn't get an answer back. It's important to know all of this as you watch the November 2018 clip that I'm about to show you. How can we get the most diverse group of people to speak? Like I'm thinking about something from the intellectual dark web to speak there. I think yeah. it's great if we can get Alan Dershowitz, just how can we get diversity of thought? So why is it that this new right or whatever you wanna call it, young conservative group, whatever it is, why is it that you guys are able to do this? And I see virtually none of this on your counterparts on the left. That's not true. I mean, the left has organized and mobilized youth. Just right now, we are in- Well, I mean, no, 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 but I'm talking about diversity of thought. Like, where are they because bringing they're, in they're people so, that they even mildly disagree with? I'm not talking about scary conservatives. I'm talking about old school liberals. Where, where are they inviting them to just have an interesting conversation? The left- Oh, where are they inviting them, Dave? Look, while Dave Rubin incessantly claims the left is afraid to speak to people they disagree with, the reality is that he's been dodging calls for a debate with Sam Cedar for quite some time now. In fact, one of his viewers paid $100 on YouTube Super Chat to ask him to debate Sam Cedar. The question read, Dave, this is a very brave move on your part, kudos. Have you heard about the SJW nonsense on the majority report where they keep challenging you to a debate? You should have Sam on and totally destroy him in the battle of ideas. Proceeds could go to charity. Watch how Ruben reacted to the question as he read it live on his show. Hey Dave, this is a very brave move on your part, kudos. Have you heard about the SJW nonsense? I, 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 don't, I don't even care about those guys. Does It really just, just honestly doesn't matter. Uh, viva la free speech, good luck Dave, you Patreon. All right, I'm reading these live. Oh, but it does matter, Dave, you know it matters. And that was embarrassing, and I love it. There's even a fundraising effort to call Ruben out on all of this. A GoFundMe page has raised more than $1,500 for a billboard in LA that includes the hashtag debate Sam Cedar. Look, it's one thing to pretend like your current political positions are genuine and not influenced by your donors. It's another thing to lie and paint the left as scaredy cats who can't handle a debate with a dimwit. Because obviously that's not the truth. People wanna debate you, you just haven't been responding to them or have denied the debates. He speaks with such conviction when sharing his newfound libertarian opinions, yet he turns down all opportunities to explain and defend them. If people were accusing me of being a fraud who didn't actually believe the things I say, I would jump at the chance to defend myself and my political views. Ruben is unwilling to because it's not easy to defend your politics when you're simply paid to regurgitate someone else's political thoughts. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to No Filter. I like to end the show on a high note, so here are a few of my favorite things. First off, let's talk about El Chapo. His trial is underway, and I love how all of the evidence that's being presented during this trial, during this case, disproves everything that Donald Trump has to say about a border wall between the United States and Mexico. So El Chapo is this drug kingpin, legendary drug kingpin. There's finally gonna be some justice in this case, but how did he get the drugs into the United States? Tunnels, ways in which you know legal ports of entry, ways in which that Donald Trump hasn't really talked about. He seems to be hyper focused on building a wall that wouldn't actually do anything to stop masterminds like El Chapo from smuggling drugs into the United States. So something that you guys should pay attention to as the case unfolds. Because not only is it super interesting, and not only are we learning about the methods in which he got the drugs in the country, it's also further disproving everything that Trump stands for and has been pushing for when it comes to that border wall funding. Yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday, and you know what? It's great that in times like these, people on both sides of the aisle in all parts of the country can sit down and share the exact same experience, watching an extremely boring game. Man, that game was a waste of time. My favorite thing about it is how literally everyone is making fun of how bad the game was. Football has a long legacy of great nicknames for its biggest moments, the freezer bowl, the immaculate reception, even the catch. But the internet has come up with a name for this year's game. They're calling it the worst Super Bowl ever. Good, so it's not just me. Here are some of my favorite facts about the game. Tom Brady won his sixth championship. This means he has the most Super Bowl wins of any player, which is great because he needs more good things in his life. And the guy named most valuable player of the game was suspended earlier this same year for using performance enhancing drugs. Hey, at least the NFL is consistently horrible. My favorite thing about the game itself was that we streamed our reactions live for TYT members who screen capped every moment. One of the perks of membership is access to events like this. So, shameless plug, go to tyt.com slash join to sign up or tyt.com slash trial to try it out for free. My favorite tweet about the game came from writer Jess Dweck, who said, quote, these teams are playing like they know whoever wins goes to the White House. I mean, I would play crappily if I thought, hey, winning would make me go meet Trump. Not something I'd be interested in. And look, from a progressive standpoint, it's hard to choose a team. The owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft, is a friend of Donald Trump's. And the owner of the Rams reportedly gave $1 million to Trump's inauguration. To be honest, the people we should be applauding are the ones who weren't at the game at all. Cardi B and Rihanna refused offers to perform during the halftime show. Cardi B explained her position by saying, I got to sacrifice a lot of money to perform, but there's a man who sacrificed his job for us, referring to Colin Kaepernick. So we gotta stand behind him. I love that. Adam Levine and Maroon 5 scooped up the scraps, as did Travis Scott and Atlanta star Big Boy, formerly of Outkast. Everyone was aware of the stigma of performing at the Super Bowl. Scott and the NFL announced that they were donating half a million dollars to the nonprofit Dream Corps and will work with the league on other initiatives. Maroon 5 announced in a statement that they, alongside the NFL and their label, Interscope Records, would be donating half a million dollars to Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. 
It's amazing what used to be one of the biggest opportunities for a musician, which by the way, they don't get paid for, is now so toxic, the artists actually have to throw a million dollars at charity just to save face. Perhaps the only bowl more toxic than the game itself Sunday was the bowl of queso prepared by former Bush press secretary and current Fox News anchor, Dana Perino. She simply tweeted the words, I made queso, along with a photo of the most disgusting puddle of hot garbage you can imagine. And this gave rise to many favorite memes of the day, tweeting other disgusting things with the caption, I made queso. Here are some of the highlights. A member of Blink-182 posted the sad cheese sandwich from the Fire Festival with the caption, I made queso. And someone from the Washington Post tweeted a picture of decayed corpses from inside that mysterious black sarcophagus, also with the caption, I made queso. That's pretty gross. And of course, someone photoshopped Trump's face into the hot cheesy mess. I guess one disgusting orange blob deserves another. And finally, I do a lot of research for this show and I unearth so many great little nuggets that I wanna share with you guys. But for one reason or another, they don't fit exactly with the topics that we've chosen for the program. And they end up on the cutting room floor. But I have to share one thing I found this week while researching what Laura Ingram said about Ralph Northam, the Democratic governor from Virginia. Now, I don't choose to watch a lot of Fox News, so I'm left to imagine how ridiculous their rhetoric must be as they blow more and more hot air into their little media bubble. But even in my wildest imagination, I couldn't come up with what she's calling the Democrats. That's right. They call the Democratic Party the party of death, the anti-death penalty, anti-war party, the party of death. That's not photoshopped. That's literally what her segment was called. Classy. You guys stay classy and don't forget to rate the podcast and follow us on Twitter at NoFilterTYT. Special thanks to Ja'Cory Palmer, Skip Velocco, Bart Kyle, Brandon Limer, Craig Lowry, Brett Ehrlich, Sophie Sai, Arthur Aguirre, and Mary Ignatova for making the show possible. And special thanks to all of you who watch and support this show. Please have an excellent week and we'll see you next week with another episode of No Filter. Hey.